Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of ALM's award-winning magazine, Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Well, a very happy new year to everyone, and welcome to the January 2011 edition of Law Technology Now. Uh, I am extremely excited to introduce our new sponsor, um, our friends at LexisNexis, and we welcome you very, very much. And as always, Law Technology Now is a joint project between ALM and the Legal Talk Network. Uh, we'll talk more about how to reach us at the end of the show, but I want to dive right in. I have two wonderful guests today. Um, uh, the first is Cecil Lynn, and Cecil is based in Phoenix, and He's with Littler, and he's right now a one-man band on the subject of the most important cases in e-discovery over the last year. And my second guest is one of my favorite colleagues, Judy Kelly, who is a senior conference producer for our Legal Tech New York. And we're going to give you a little sneak preview of what's going on at Legal Tech and hopefully get everybody all excited about uh, everything that's going to be going on this month. Um, Cecil, let's start with you. I'm going to share news that you are a brand new, happy, proud papa this week. Uh, congratulations on the birth of your son. And uh, rumor has it you named him Cecil in the fourth. Uh, indeed, Monica. Thank you, first of all, for, for having me on the show. I do appreciate it. And, and uh, yes, my son was uh, was born just uh, four, four days ago, actually. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Well, we're very excited. And Cecil, you handled the most monumental task, I think, on the planet this year of taking a look at 2010's most significant e-discovery rulings. And it has been a very, very active year, particularly from some of the New York jurists. And you have uh, uh, gone through and taken a look at what's the most important. So right off the bat in January... Uh, there was a very significant case that launched the new year. Will you tell us a little bit of what, about what Judge Shira Shinlin uh, uh, brought to our attention in January? Uh, yes, no, absolutely. You know, every year it seems that uh, in January, Judge Shinlin uh, comes out with an opinion that, that kind of sets the course and the tone for the year. Um, and in January, uh, she... Uh, she brought about a pension committee of the Montreal Pension Plan versus Bank of America Securities LLC. Uh, and in that case, uh, she came out with a ruling that said that, uh, among other things, that uh, because of the Zubalake opinions that she had issued starting in 2003, there were uh, a slew of those opinions that came out from 2003 to 2008, uh, that the issue of e-discovery, at least in the Southern District of New York, uh, was something that all parties uh, and all litigants should be well aware of, and particularly the rules that were laid down related to preservation of electronically stored information. And so what Judge Shinlin, uh did in the pension committee case uh, was basically offered a, 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 a refresh, if you will, on the duty to preserve and the consequences of a party's negligent uh, or reckless or willful destruction of relevant evidence. And after she and her clerks got done reviewing this motion and spending about um, 300 hours collectively, um, Judge Shinlin found that 13 of the plaintiffs had negligently or grossly negligently 
conducted discovery or failed to preserve uh, relevant information, uh, warning both monetary sanctions and, in some case, adverse inference instructions. So it was a very, uh, a very kind of big sonic boom, if you will, uh, in January for the discovery community. And then over the course of the year, there were uh, several other reactions to that that happened. But at the end of the year of 2010, someone from her very own district uh, wrote a case that broke just as the year was ending. Can you tell us a little bit about Otis? Sure. No, absolutely. But I want to jump back for about two seconds and just say that um, after pension committee, really the e-discovery community uh, was jumping because they knew that there was going to be another opinion that came out that would would either distinguish or, uh, in many instances, talk about pension committee in a different jurisdiction or a different circuit other than uh, the Second Circuit. And that did happen uh, a month later with Remkes. But as you mentioned, um, what happened uh, recently in October, the end of October, um, Judge James Francis, um, also from the Southern District of New York, um, authored an opinion, which is Orbit One Communications versus uh, Numerex Corporation. Uh, and in that case, uh, the, the plaintiffs purged uh, electronically stored information that was subject to an existing hold, including including removing a hard drive uh, from his company workstation. And in that case, Judge Francis um, decided that sanctions were not appropriate, even though there was a failure to preserve the information. What Judge Francis said was that really the critical step is whether or not the information was relevant in the first place. And in that case found uh, that the information, there wasn't a, a, a fundamental showing that the information was relevant to even get to the stage where we talk about whether or not an adverse inference instruction or other sanctions are appropriate. Um, and, and actually uh, distinguish Pension Committee a bit um, in saying that to the extent that Pension Committee stands for the proposition that sanctions can be meted out um, for cases of, of negligence, if you will, um, without a showing of relevance that Judge Francis disagreed. Now, Judge Francis did uh, agree with Judge Shinlin that there are certain cases, uh, um, willful spoliation, where relevance may be presumed. Uh, but in the run-of-the-mill case, if you will, and, and to the extent that there is a run-of-the-mill case in e-discovery parlance, but in a case where there's negligence, um, Judge Francis uh, said that really relevance was the the fundamental first step in the spoliation analysis. Now, while you were on Baby Watch, a whole bunch of us were in Washington, D.C. at the um, Georgetown Conference, and almost all of the judges who had written opinions in this area were there. I found one of the most fascinating things they talked about was to remind us all that there are variations from circuit to circuit, and particularly that these cases address very specific fact patterns that are going uh, to a specific case. I want to have save a little time for us to discuss the most exciting case of the year, uh, but do spend a moment, if you would, Cecil, and tell us about what Judge Rosenthal um, uh, wrote in terms of the Rimkus case. Well, the Rimkus case uh, was interesting for a number of reasons. Number one, the Rimkus case uh, came out of the uh, second dis- southern district of Texas. And uh, one of the significant things about it is the judge, Judge Lee Rosenthal, chairs the Judicial Conference Committee on Rules of Practice and Procedure. Um, so a lot of eyes were, were on uh, this case. And what Judge Rosenthal does is, is that she engages in a very detailed examination 
of the spoliation laws for all of the 13 circuit courts of appeal. And and she determines that the Fifth Circuit, uh, where that case presided, was had a different standard um, than the Second Circuit, and actually goes through a detailed analysis, again, of all the circuits, and talks about which ones um, have varying standards from the Second Circuit, specifically what those standards are, and uh, some of the cases have applied those standards. Um, she wasn't alone. Um, uh, the exact same analysis was done by Judge Grimm in the Victor Stanley case as well. And of course, Cecil, that was a very dramatic ruling that was issued from Maryland's ju- uh, Judge Paul Grimm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? No, absolutely. Uh, judge Grimm, by the time Victor Stanley had wrapped up after three contentious years of discovery, had really lost his cool. Uh, judge Grimm said that in all his years on the bench, this is probably the worst case that he's ever seen. Uh, in all, he found that there were eight separate failures to preserve evidence, um, including that one of the plaintiffs, Mark Pappas, used at least four different programs to permanently delete information. And so what Judge Grimm did is, uh, uh, after analyzing uh, the the spoliation sanctions that were available and also did what Judge Rosenthal did in the Remkes case, which is go through all of the circuits, um, ultimately uh, issued uh, spoliation sanctions, but also uh, sentenced uh, Mark Pappas to up to two years in jail uh, if he didn't pay the uh, attorney's fees for the uh, for the other side. Uh, on appeal, Judge uh, Garbus uh, affirmed and adopted Grimm's findings for civil contempt. However, he ruled that the jail sentence uh, was not appropriate, um, but uh, would would reconsider it if uh, uh, the plaintiff, or sorry, the defendant, Mark uh, Pappas, didn't uh, pay up the attorney's fee award. Well, that was a very exciting case. And once again, if you want to read more, uh, you can uh, find uh, more details in a couple of different places. Uh, You're going to have it in the strike that five, four, three. Well, that certainly was a very dramatic case. And uh, there's a lot of ways you can find out more about it. Uh, Check out Craig Ball's article in the, I think it was October or November issue of Law Technology News. And I think you'll be very excited to see Cecil Lynn's uh, wonderful analysis of these and a whole lot more cases in our newly revamped LTN, which will launch at Legal Tech New York. Cecil, thank you so much. Quickly, if you would tell us how folks can reach you if they would like to uh, pursue further with you. Oh, absolutely. My email address is clynn, C-L-Y-N-N, at litler, L-I-T-T-L-E-R, dot com. Terrific. Thank you so much, Cecil. And we're going to take a quick break here to hear from our sponsor, LexisNexis. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution... LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more, 
Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. And we are back with, again, thanks to LexisNexis, our new sponsor. My next guest is the wonderful Judy Kelly, who is a colleague of mine here at ALM. And again, her title is Senior Conference Producer, and she's the go-to gal for Legal Tech New York. Welcome very much, Judy. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Monica. Thank you for having me. Well, we're going to give a sneak preview today. There's so much going on at Legal Tech. In addition to the launch of the new LTN website and the new LTN magazine, you've got some pretty exciting panels and and uh, uh, keynote speakers and exhibit halls. And you even have a new icon that you're using on the program to help folks uh, navigate all that there is at the New York uh, Hilton. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you've changed that and how it's going to help attendees. Well, um, you know, this this coming New York is the 30th anniversary of Legal Tech New York, so we're really excited about that, and we definitely put some different efforts into the show this year. Um, as you mentioned, we've got some icons, which um, I think will really help folks design the conference program that's right for them. You know, and when you see Legal Tech, it's such a, such a big animal that sometimes it can be overwhelming, and you're not quite sure which is the right session for you. So what we're doing this year, and you'll be able to find this either online or in your show guide that you'll be handed as soon as you get to registration, um, there'll be different icons next to all of the sessions. We've focused on legal, technology, or general. The legal sessions are geared towards lawyers who need advanced legal topics or more introductory technology topics. The technology sessions are geared towards attendees who generally provide support to attorneys and have advanced technology understanding but need a greater understanding of those legal topics. And then we also have general, which is, you know, for those who are somewhat in the middle. And we're really hoping, you know, you can plan out a little map for yourself of what's going to be the best day for you and where you can get the best education. Sounds Um, great, Judy. Um, You have uh, some exciting speakers coming up. One I can't wait for is, um, and I may butcher his pronunciation, Gonzalo de Cesar, who has been working on many of the United Nations tribunals, and he has uh, authored an an article that will be in our newly launched uh, LTN uh, issue that will be debuted at Legal Tech New York. Can you tell us a little bit about him and what he'll be talking about at the program? Absolutely. Uh, Mr. DeCesar implemented e-discovery technology to help achieve justice for victims of the Khmer Rouge, which I think is just such a, a, a wonderful topic to have on this program. You know, we, we always talk about the systems and the policies of e-discovery, but rarely do we look at it from a, from a justice point of view. And I think this brings a very human point to the content. Um, he'll be speaking on our day two keynote, so that's 9 a.m. on Tuesday, February 1st. 
and he's going to talk about how you manage that type of information. And when you're talking about millions of documents and unstructured data and multiple languages and making sure that you're compliant with the stringent rules and deadlines for international law, I think this is going to be an excellent portion of the program. We're really excited to have him on there. We do have, Monica, two other keynotes on the program, which I want to highlight as well. On day one, we have uh, Gabriel Bligas from uh, Hewlett-Packard who will be joining us, and he's going to talk about those crossroads between legal and IT and how you turn what can sometimes be a battle into a solution to help meet compliance. Um, and then on day three of the program, we're, we're trying to end on a, a look forward and, and where this industry is going. Um, we have Michael Rogers, who's a practical futurist, and he's done work for both the New York Times and MSN, and he's going to be looking at what the law firm of 2020 is going to look like. Um, and Judy, I need everything... to cut you off on that because I need to ask you one last question mm-hmm. as we just have a few seconds left. Uh, you also have an exciting program coming on that's uh, dealing with some new aspects of the government involved with e-discovery. Give us just a quick, quick sentence on that. Absolutely. On day three of the program, we have new for this year, never done it before, government investigations and litigation, unique concerns and issues when Uncle Sam is the opposing party. You'll see speakers from the Department of Justice and the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorney. So very excited to have that on the program. Judy, thank you so much. And of course, if our listeners would like more information about Legal Tech New York, they can visit www.legaltechshow.com. And I want to do some thanks, as always, to our Boston team at Legal Talk Network, Lou Ann Reeb, Kate Kenny, Scott Hess, and Mike Hawkman. In New York, to my producers here, David Jasper, Jill Winward, and David Snow. And to remind you that there are three different places to find Law Technology Now. At the ALM website, www.lawtechnologynow.com at the Legal Talk Network site, which is www.legaltalknetwork.com. And of course, because we are so cool on iTunes. And as always, I remind you that there is no crying in baseball or technology. I'm Monica Bay, and we thank our new sponsor, LexisNexis, and we will see you in February. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.